evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, and I'm the Managing Editor of Reader Views. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 129 in our series. Tonight's topic will be Creating a Local Historical Book with special guest Tyler Tischler. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are on the line with Tyler R. Tischler, a seventh-generation Marquette, Michigan resident who has written five novels with many more to come, all set in Upper Michigan, including the Marquette Trilogy, the award-winning Narrow Lives, and their most recently published History of Marquette, entitled My Marquette, Explore the Queen City of the North, Its History, People, and Places. Now, Tyler has a Ph.D. in literature from Western Michigan University and bachelor and master's degrees from Northern Michigan University. He has lectured on writing and literature at Clemson University, the University of Wisconsin, and the University of London. Tyler is also a regular guest host on our show, which you know, and the president of the Upper Peninsula Publishers and Authors Association. He's the owner of Marquette Fiction and Superior Book Promotions, a professional book review, editing, and proofreading service. Besides writing about Upper Michigan, he's interested in the Arthurian legends and recently published King Arthur's Children, a study of treatments of King Arthur's Children in literature from medieval times to 21st century novels. Tyler currently lives in Marquette, Michigan, where the roar of Lake Superior, mountains of snow, and sandstone architecture continue to inspire his writing. Well, good evening. Hello again. Hi, Victor. It's great to be here. It's it's different being on the other side, not being the host. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can well imagine it is, and so this is just um, really interesting to be talking to you. You're a very prolific uh, writer, and it's like from fiction to all of a sudden the uh, Mar- My Marquette that you wrote is nonfiction. Although it's historical, as your other uh, three books were, the trilogy, but this is a little different because it's not fiction. And... I'd like to start off immediately just talking about what kind of different types of research did you have to do in comparison by doing the fiction and which was historical to the nonfiction? Okay, sure. I Well, in writing the... A, a lot of it is overlap, and in writing the novels, I basically did almost all the research I'd say probably about 80% or so of the research that went into my Marquette also was used in my novels. The The main difference, I think, is I didn't have to be as specific in the novels. I didn't have to pin down specific dates. I usually could um, kind of wing things and just as long as I maybe got the year that an event took place, that was, that was close enough. Um, whereas with with writing the nonfiction book, the, the thing that maybe frustrated me the most was trying to pin down a, a specific date. I'd read one source and it would say this happened on like February 28th and the next source would say it was February 25th and a 
third source would say February 27th, and I'd have to dig back and figure out what their sources were, and, and maybe look look up the newspapers, the the actual newspapers that covered the event back in the day, and. So I, I would sometimes spend hours just trying to make one little date, just make sure that it would be it would be accurate. So that took a lot of time. And because I was writing about real people who lived, the, the actual historical people, um, I needed to do a lot more research into their backgrounds, um, especially I have a whole section of my book that is about historical homes in the area. And there have been other uh, market history books, but none that covered the historical uh, residential district as thoroughly as mine has. And for me, that was the really exciting part of the book because I had always been fascinated by all these old Victorian homes and who had lived in them. And in researching them, I discovered that almost everybody that lived on those those couple streets in Marquette, um, they were all related to each other in some way, either through blood or through marriage. And so... I spent all this time trying to sort out those those family trees and keep track of them, and then I made up genealogy charts so people reading the book could could follow who was who in the story, which wasn't wasn't something that I needed to do in my novels. The, the historical people more just made cameo appearances. I'd refer to somebody, but and, and basically, I guess for the nonfiction book, just a lot more a lot more time spent ironing out the, the little details. So you were writing uh, novels and, uh, of course, which are fiction. Why did you decide to write a local history book? Well, I I really was never interested in writing a history book, partly because I, it, it seemed in, uh, sort of an overwhelming task to do. And there had already been a couple history books written about the area in the past. So I initially wanted to write novels just because I thought that the area deserved to be treated on a higher level. It, it deserved to be, the, the significance of its role in American history needed to be made apparent. And I felt like the American dream was really played out right here in Upper Michigan. And so I, you know, I kind of wanted to memorialize that and honor that in my novels. So I thought I was doing something that was really very unique uh, for the area. And the, the novels sold well enough, but uh, the bookstores, when I brought the novels to them, they said, well, what we really need is a history of Marquette. That's what the tourists are asking for. We have people all the time asking for histories, and the histories that had been written were basically out of print at that point. And so I, I hemmed and hawed about it, and I didn't really want to do it. And uh, I had thought about writing a book explaining sort of my thoughts and reasons behind the way I had written the novels. And so that kind of, that coupled with um, people asking me to give them tours of the city, I thought um, if I, rather than, not everybody would be able to come to Marquette and have me give them a walking tour. So maybe it would be better if I wrote a book that was laid out as a tour book. And so my, my Marquette, the history book, ended up being laid out kind of like a tour book rather than telling the whole story like year by year chronologically. I went place by place so that you could walk around and I'd, I'd tell you the history of a building, um, a house, uh, a park, whatever whatever the case was. So once I did that, I, I felt more comfortable with it. And I didn't, I wanted to personalize it too and say, 
not just these are the events that happened, but this is why this place matters to me. So I made it, I made it very personal. I talked about uh, growing up in the area. I talked about uh, things that my family had done, like my grandpa building the post office, um, some of my ancestors who helped found the Methodist church, different, different things along those lines. And then what I think was probably my smartest move is I, I did some uh, cross-selling in the book. I had quotes from all my novels in the book um, for different places. So, for example, Donker's Candy Store, I mentioned, um, I, I would quote the passage from one of the novels where the characters go to Donker's. Or um, same thing with, like, the library. I write about the library, but I have a quote from one of my books about the characters at the library. So hopefully that would encourage people also to read my novels. Great. That's really a unique approach, bringing a sense of place to history, which chronologies can be hard to keep a consistent interest level, and this way people can browse. What are some other ways that your book uh, is different from other typical local histories? The fact that it's laid out as a, as a walking tour, I think it becomes very very user-friendly. And I put a lot of maps in the book. Um, broken up by the different sections. So you don't just have a map of Marquette. You have a map specifically of the downtown or of the residential section or of the harbor. Um, also, I think because I included a lot of genealogies of different families uh, in Marquette history, I think that, that helps a lot with understanding um, the, different, the different families and the reasons they came here, which is mostly to do with the discovery of iron ore here, and um, also with the lumbering industry and uh, uh, a lot of a lot of the shipping that went out in the uh, on in the area, and I include my own family trees. Um, and fortunately for me, my family, the part of the reason why I'm so interested in here is my family's been here since the town was founded in 1849. So I could I could connect myself to events that happened in a lot of places. Um, through like great grandparents, great great grandparents. I, I think the other thing is, you know, just well, all books have lots of have lots of historical photos. But I, I definitely think the historical photos really really brought it to life. And I tried to make a real effort to have the pictures be very large and have pictures for every single section, and uh, to illustrate a lot of. Uh, not not just a lot, a lot of history books. They tend to focus on just the past, the, the distant past. And I tried to have photos of uh, current buildings and photos of buildings that aren't there anymore, but were there within recent memory. Buildings that were still there, like in the 80s and the 90s. Which um, even when I went to the historical society, anything that happened in Marquette after about 1950, they did not have much information on, just because it wasn't really considered that historical yet at that point. So people didn't preserve it. So I tried to do as much as I could to work around that so that it would be a book that would be of interest to people uh, who were still who are alive now who could remember a lot of the places and the events that happened. Great. Um, I mean, given that you have such a huge scope of, you know, 150 years and a couple of square miles, where do you draw the line about what is sort of inbounds and what is out of bounds? That that was a really difficult thing for me to do. And it, what it basically came down to was, were those places already mentioned in my novels? 
so that I could have I could have quotes for each section, so I would have consistency. There's there's one or two exceptions in the book where I didn't mention uh, one of the places I mentioned the book in one of my novels, but for the most part I did. And whether or not I felt I had something to say about the place and its significance to me. Um, there were several places that I thought, well, this place is important, I should include it, but what do I really have to say about it that hasn't been said before? And so I didn't necessarily mention those. I, I don't think I missed too many places that people would, would consider major. I had one guy come up to me at a, a, a book signing and say, well, you didn't include my high school in there, shame on you. And I, I, I just, it never crossed my mind to include that school in the book, which is funny because it was the school that my grandma graduated from. So it, it should have, I should have thought of that. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't include everything. There's, there's no way, I mean, the book was supposed to end up being about 250, 300 pages, and it ended up being 448 pages. So there's, there's no way that I could include everything. But I, I tried to, uh, to divide the city up into sections, and then try to do justice to each section by mentioning what I thought were the, the highlights and the major places, as well as throwing in some uh, interesting facts that I didn't think most people would know. So this is quite an undertaking that uh, you took, Tyler. What's the population of uh, Marquette? It's about 20,000. Okay, so obviously it's a fair-sized city, and there's a lot of stuff, you know, historical stuff that really you had to uh, do research on. And so what was the most difficult part for you in this whole process? I, I would have to say the, probably, and it, it sounds awful, but probably for me, I had not written a history book before, and I felt like my role largely was just cutting and pasting things. I'd, I'd go to a research book or, or you know other history books from the past, and I had all these clippings from magazines and newspapers and information and I felt like all I was was the gather of information and putting it together and so I found myself kind of bored actually doing that it wasn't it wasn't creative like in in writing a novel and um, I always felt like I had hanging over my shoulder the people that were going to say oh you got that date wrong or that that event isn't uh, that's not that that detail is not accurate or something like that so double checking all of those facts and making sure that they're they're correct, um, you know, kind of ad nauseum was, was probably the most, the most difficult part. But it must have been very uh, rewarding in the end for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of the book. I'm, I'm especially proud of how it, how it looks. It, it came out, it ended up looking the way I imagined it to be, plus um, even better than that, and I, I think that that helps a lot. Um, the you know the, the the colors on the cover, um, the layout of the book with the where the of the photographs and how they were laid out, and so it it really and I decided to make it quite large. It's a eight and a half by eleven. Because um, I really want it to be kind of a, a coffee table sort of a book, and it really has um, it really has resonated with people. They've they've been very uh, I've gotten very positive responses from it. I've I've gotten letters from people and just just wonderful responses that you know really that that makes it all worthwhile in the end. Oh, I'm sure it does. So, being that you use photographs 
obviously you had to get permission to use a lot of them. And what process did you have to go through to attain some of these photographs and actually be able to use them or have the permission to use them? Well, the, the photographs came from several different sources. Um, first of all, one of, one of the authors who had written a, a book previously, um, Sonny Longtime, he had written the book Market Then and Now. And the book was out of print. And people had been badgering him for years to reprint this book, and he just didn't want to do it for whatever reason. And I didn't want to step on his toes by, by coming out with my book, so I talked to him about it, and he said oh, no, go right ahead and write it, and I've got all these photos from my, my book if you want to use them. So he gave me several photos, um, which most of them were photos that I could have taken, but there were some pictures of things that, uh, for example, the, the trestle, the railroad trestle that used to be downtown, he went and took pictures of it when they took it down back in, uh, well, I think it was 1999 or 2000, and I could never have taken those pictures myself. So he, he was a great resource that way and very generous about sharing his pictures. Um, obvious places uh, to get photos were the, the historical museum here in Marquette. Um, I got lots of pictures from them and also from uh, Superior View, which is owned by Jack Dio. He has been a collector of photo, old photographs for decades and has collections of people who were photographers in the market area back in the 1800s. So he has just a huge collection of photographs, and I got several from him. Um, in one case, I had to write to the Utah Historical Society for a picture of my great-great-grandpa's cousin because he just he happened to have moved out there, and that was the only place that I could find a photo of him. Um, the, the most frustrating part for me was uh, not being able to get photos that I wanted. I, and I, I was lucky, actually, in the end. But there was a, the Marquette Mall used to have this wonderful fountain in it, and I could not find a picture of this fountain. It had these colored lights in the water, and, this, uh, and, the, and the water would spray up. And so there was, like, pinks and green um, sprays of water. And uh, it was just a, a gorgeous fountain. Everybody loved it. It was a shame when they took it out. Um, I could not find a picture of that fountain. And finally, I went to the Historical Society, and I was looking, I think I was looking for something completely different, and there just happened to be a picture of the fountain. It wasn't at all a picture that was what I was expecting. It actually showed a bunch of Boy Scouts in their canoe in the fountain doing some sort of a... Uh, exhibition of some sort. So it was kind of a bizarre picture, but at least I got my picture of my fountain. Um, another thing I wanted was a picture of the Bavarian Inn. It had been torn down. Nobody had one. I, I checked at the museums and the, the university archives and uh, ended up my great aunt had a picture, a photo of it, because I, I wanted it specifically because my grandpa and my great uncle had helped to build it. And so we had to dig through my great uncle's photographs, which took a couple hours, but we finally found a picture. And uh, the the other, I, I had to get pictures of, uh, Marquette is, is well known for having been the site of the filming of the movie Anatomy of a Murder. Um, there was a book by Robert Traver, Anatomy of a Murder, back in the 50s, and it's actually based on a murder that took place here. And so uh, when they filmed the movie, all the Hollywood movie stars came to the area and they actually filmed it here. Uh, Jimmy Stewart and Lee Remick, 
um, Ben Gazzara, a whole bunch of stars from back in the 50s. And I wanted a couple pictures of when the movie stars were here. Well, I went to the university archives, and they had photos, but they said even though those photos were in their collection, they did not have permission they, they did not actually have the permission that I could actually use them. And they said, I'll have to write to whoever took the photos. Well, the photos were taken by Look Magazine, which has since gone out of business. And I did some research on the Internet, and as far as I could tell, it seemed like all of their, uh, all of their materials are now in the Library of Congress. So if I wanted to use those photos, I would have had to write to the Library of Congress for permission. I wasn't really clear if were in the public domain just because they were there. So I was I was kind of irritated about that whole that whole process trying to get those. And then I talked to um, the woman at, at Globe Printing, Stacy Willie, who actually uh, Globe Printing did the printing of my book. And their office is above the Roosevelt Bar, which is uh, where all the movie stars actually signed their names on the wall um, when they were here. And so. Uh, she had, just because their office is in that building, people are always coming in there to see this wall with like, Jimmy Stewart's handwriting on it. And so people have been giving her photos over the years of, that they took when, when this movie was filmed. And so she just had some pictures that were taken by locals, and she let me use those. So I kind of got around the whole seeking permission uh, route that way. So yeah, just a, just a variety of different... Uh, different avenues I had to chase down to, to find the photos. Yeah, I think your experience is probably pretty common for uh, local historians have to be pretty ingenious to get what they want. <laughs> uh, let's talk, shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, marketing. Uh, is there just the conventional sort of things of, of museums and gift shops? Or just give us a whole idea of, of what you've done. Yeah, it, it, conventional in the sense that I, I brought the book down to all the bookstores, um, the museums, the gift shops, places that my other books were already for sale. So um, though, those were all uh, were all very helpful in that uh, from that extent. I did actually start blogging for the first time. I had always been resistant about it, but I decided I would have a blog and. Um, just basically have posted segments from the book on the blog. I don't always post all the photos from the book, um, but I always put, you know, there, there are photos of these things in the book, hopefully encouraging people that read the blog to, uh, to, to then buy the book. And so then I've, I've advertised the blog on uh, Facebook and MySpace and, and so forth. Um, and with this book, I was, I was, a lot more successful. People apparently like history more than more than they like novels, and so I had a lot more success uh, with getting coverage for this book. I had a book signing um, at Snowbound Books, and the local television station just showed up and filmed me signing books. I um, I managed to get the local paper, the Mining Journal, to do a feature story, so that was on the, the front page of the paper. That generated uh, quite a few sales. In fact, I was out of town that weekend, and the bookstores had all left me a bunch of messages saying we're out of we're out of books. So I had to run and wow. deliver them books the day after the uh, the story came out on a Sunday. So I got home on Monday and had to deliver a bunch of books. Um, 
And I went to the craft shows at Christmas. I had stuff going on like every weekend in uh, pretty much November and December, you know, gearing up towards the holidays. Um, I was lucky enough to be on the uh, the Doug Garrison show here, which is like a local show to promote um, the area, the arts, and, and things of that sort. So um, that that program actually just started up this fall. So I was one of the first guests on there. Um, and I've just had I've had people just calling me up and asking me to to come and, and do events. I got called about a week ago to come and speak to the uh, the Northern Center for Lifelong Learning. I'm going to talk to them in uh, April. I got a call a couple days ago to come and speak to a, a library group in Iron River, which is about at least a couple hours away, which kind of surprises me. But they were interested. I got an order from uh, the Iron Mountain Library about eighty miles away they want three copies of the book so just lots of uh lots more publicity from a history book than i ever experienced with my novels it's just it's really kind of su- surprised me that it's it's been as popular as it has been well that's yeah that's really a great story to get get that kind of recognition and um, i'm sure it <laughs> feels really good what kind of advice do you have for uh, author just starting out in in local history uh, do you mean in, in terms of writing a book or um well maybe they have let's just suppose they have a you know a great idea for doing maybe some part of this uh, some city or county region that's they feel has been underserved or there hasn't been a, a, a new local history book out in 20 years and they they feel inspired but they're not really sure how to get going um, I, I would say, you know, do your research and, and try to find um, whatever has been written, whether it's a, a history book that was written many years ago that you can use as a starting point or um, uh, local museums and see what you can find. Uh, look through rolls of microfilm to, at old newspapers, um, whatever, whatever you can do along those lines. And as you... As you uh, work through it and you try to decide what you're going to include, I think eventually a structure um, just comes out of that. You, de- you decide if, if uh, you know, your book is going to be divided up into sections like 20-year periods, 50-year periods, um, along those lines. And I would say talk to as many people as possible, especially older people, but even... Um, people at museums at libraries don't don't be afraid of telling people that you want to write a book about the area because people get excited about it and i had lots of people wanting to share information with me more information than i possibly could have all could have used and like i would go down to the museum here and i would say i need um I'm, I'm looking for this one specific fact, and the the research library librarian there, she was just she was wonderful. I mean, she had she had all kinds of ideas of ways we could go about finding information, and um, I was very focused on just wanting this one thing. But she's like, well, here are all these other possibilities, and so I'd end up looking at all these other files and finding new information and. Uh, uh, I, I ended up corresponding with family members, like grandchildren, great-grandchildren of of people that were significant to Marquette 100 years ago, and they all were very willing to share family stories. I had people 
um, look at the genealogy charts I made just to make sure I didn't make any mistakes there. So I think especially if you're just getting if you're just getting started and it's an area that's been underserved, I would say talk to as many people as possible and you know all kinds of materials will just surface and uh, you'll have you'll have more than you'll even know what to do with at that point. Tyler, thank you very much for giving us all this information. You know, it's really an inspiration to uh, listen to you and just really see how much research went into it. But also, I, I'm hearing that you had a lot of fun. And uh, this is certainly something that, uh, if any of the authors that are listening that want to go ahead and start doing research, creating a book for their local area, it sounds like it's really rewarding. And uh, Tyler, where can people get in contact with you if they do have questions or want some guidance on how to actually make a local historical book? Sure. My website is uh, marquettefiction.com, and you can see my uh, my book, my Marquette, there, and uh, as well as my my historical novels. Uh, my email address is tyler at marquettefiction.com. And uh, my website, there's also a link there to my blog, so you can uh, you can read that. You can leave comments there, contact me through the blog as well. Thank you again. It's, this has been a real pleasure having you on this uh, show. Indeed it has. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Copywriting and Legalities of Book Publishing, with Stephen Gillen from Wood, Harrow, and Evans. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And this is Irene for Reader Views saying goodnight. This is Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.